0: So I, I woke up a couple days ago, and I realized something, that uh, I'm pretty much perfect. <laughs> I don't really sin anymore, and uh, I've got the Holy Spirit in me, and, and God doesn't allow me to sin anymore. My purity is sealed for me, so I can enter into heaven, and, and since I'm perfect, I need to be able to find some other perfect Christians in a church somewhere, so that we can have our perfect church together. You know, I'm hoping it's lakeside. And, uh, you know, I need a church that's perfect without any sin at all, a church that's pure. Purity is what we're talking about here. So a church that's pure. It'd be a church without any quarreling. There wouldn't be any gossip at all. You know, there'd be no grumbling. Everybody would, would tithe. They'd at least tithe. I mean, they'd give more than their tithe, but they'd at least tithe, Right? You know, and they'd give even more in offering. And and with no sin, everyone in the church would serve each other selflessly and and just be giving all the time to each other. And there'd never be any complaining about the service that they have to do. And uh, every family would be perfect, right? Parents would never be angry with their kids, and the kids would all be obedient. And there'd be no problems in anybody's marriages, you know, just perfection all the time. It'd just be pure bliss at all times. There'd be you know certainly no immorality and and certainly no addictions and no bitterness every area of our life at work at home in entertainment everything that we did every moment of every day would be perfect it would just be a pure church and everything would be conducted in in unity and purity no broken relationships no grudges every motive would be selfless and blameless and spotless and above reproach that's the church i'm looking for can you can you help me you know can you help me find that church? Because, you know, we're pure, right? Isn't that the whole point? And if only it were so. If only that was the reality. And the sad thing is is that it almost does sound like a joke, right? For many people to come up and say that, that you're pure. And you would think, Paul, you are so arrogant to say something like that. And that's a bit of a clue to what we're going to talk about today. Because in... Our search for purity, arrogance is our biggest enemy. Pride, as you know, is the sin of Satan. And pride is a perpetuator of impurity. And my message today is actually quite simple. It really only has one point. That the beginning of purity is humility. And there's many things that we could talk about in terms of purity lots of things. And and the uh, if, if humility is the beginning of purity, the end of purity is a passion for something greater than ourselves, which a lot of the verses this morning talked about. A passion for God, a passion for God's word, a passion for obedience. That's the end of purity. But the beginning of purity that I want to talk about today is humility. And one thing that I want to start with is a little bit of hope because in the middle of the sermon it's going to sound a little bit hopeless, and then at the end we're going to come back to hope again. So I want to start with a little bit of hope, and uh, first from uh, a great pastor and uh, a guy who I look to as a sort of a mentor at a distance, John Piper. And this is a quote from John Piper. He says the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit is at work in believers; they are changing. But I've been a Christian since I was six, and I'm 63. I am not that optimistic about finishing without sin. <laughs> I hope I'm not setting my sights too low. I just love grace more, a lot. So that makes me feel a little bit hopeful when a guy like John Piper says that. <laughs> um, and I think what John Piper had in mind and what John the Disciple Uh, His namesake wrote in one of his final letters is this, and this is from 1 John 3 1 to 3. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, as he is pure. And so in these letters, First John especially, John is talking about purity. And he begins First John 3 there with a very hopeful message, which is that we will be, what we will be has not yet appeared. And that's the hope that we begin with, because as you know, if you've read First John recently or you remember First John, it's one of the most perfectionist and imperfectionist books in the Bible at the same time. It says things like, anyone who knows the Father does not sin because he has the Father in him and he cannot sin. So you read that and you think, <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, Christians can't sin at all. But then John also says, but when you do sin, know that he is faithful and just to forgive us that we have an advocate. And so in John, we have this, in one letter, this incredible perfectionist and imperfectionist letter. But I like the fact that John explains what he's talking about here in that what we are is not what has yet appeared, and that it will not appear until we are revealed in Jesus. What we are is purer. We are declared pure, we're declared righteous, we're declared justified, we are holy, we are sanctified, we are children of God by grace through our faith and what John calls hope in Christ Jesus. But as Christians, we are also not yet what we will be. We are not pure, we are not perfect, we are not righteous, we are not holy, we are not sinless yet until we see Jesus. And so what I'm going to talk about today is this pursuit of purity which clearly we need to pursue. God's desire for his church is that it be a pure church. God's desire for his people is that we be pure. And so the beginning of purity is humility, as you will see. And I'm just going to pray before we get into uh, Malachi. Father God, we give you thanks this day for your word. We thank you for the law and the prophets and what was written before so that we could have instruction on how we are to live today. And Father, we thank you that you didn't end your story with us, with the law and the prophets, but that you continued on to Jesus, who is the perfecter of our faith. So Father, now as we look into your word, help us to understand your desire for our purity, our own despair at achieving it, and where you'd have us begin to pursue it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the problem with purity for me, and maybe for most Christians, is that with this idea of perfection, with sinlessness, is that I know I should be pure, I know that I'm not pure, I don't feel pure, and I'm not sure where to become pure, and to begin becoming pure. And so I'm looking now, and we're going to look at the book of Malachi and sort of skim through it. I love the prophet Malachi, or as my friend says, Malachi, the Italian prophet, Um you didn't know there was an Italian prophet, did you? Um, so in Malachi, we get the story of Israel. And, and, I, and as I it, I want you to keep in mind here that the job of the prophets essentially was to give really, really bad news, okay? And so whenever you look into, a, into the book of a prophet, it's not always the greatest story that you get. But conversely, the other thing that you find in the prophets, along with this really, really bad news, is this amazing hope Uh, that they drop in there, but the ratio is usually 90% bad news, 10% good news. Uh, So as we go look into Malachi here, uh, let's keep that in mind. So Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, Um, one of the last prophets to be prophesying. Israel, at the end of a long history that we can go over, the nation of Israel begins with Abraham, Uh, they're taken into captivity in Egypt, God releases them from captivity. They wander around, they get into the promised land, they build up a nation, they ask for a king, uh, they start to chase after false idols and worship. God sends them off into captivity to teach them a lesson to get them unhooked from all their idols and, and false worship. Uh, he brings them back from captivity, restores them in their land, and uh, they get uh, more prophets you know calling them to repentance. And uh, they come back, they rebuild the temple, they're very excited. There's this new holiness, this new righteousness, this, this new enthusiasm and Zechariah calls them to repentance, and, and there's sort of this uh, uh, re- revival in, in Israel. And, and Malachi is writing a short time later, and in the time of Malachi, basically, all of this had evaporated away again. And God's people were right back where they seemed to always end up in this impurity. Uh, sinfulness, uh, disregard, arrogance over God and their own life. The priesthood had become corrupt, Um, you know, divorce was widespread, social justice was being ignored, Uh, generosity was neglected, all of these things that that had happened. And so I'm just going to touch on a few verses as we go through here and look at five areas of arrogance. And the reason I picked Malachi is that Malachi is written in such a way that God is answering these rhetorical questions of the people. And it's in the questions of the people that you see their arrogance. It's in the questions of the people that you see where they have completely abandoned humility before God. So the first one is the people of God, their impurity in service to God and impurity in the fellowship of believers. It says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. This is God speaking to his people. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, then where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. You, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? The people, the priests are saying, what What are we doing wrong? You know, aren't we doing everything right? How, How have we despised you? And God says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And so you see immediately there's this attitude in Israel. It's like, what? What are we doing wrong? You know, aren't we doing the, the ceremonies the way that you want them? How How is it that we're despising you? And God is having to point out to them that they have lost sight of their worship of him. And this part here speaks to the purity of our service to God and the purity of our relationship and our communion with our brothers and sisters at the Lord's table. God says to Israel, the offering and the service that you're bringing into my temple is imperfect, it's impure, but Israel doesn't see it. They're so proud and self-centered as the people of God, they don't even understand. What are you talking about, God? How is this impure? Aren't we your people? Aren't we doing these things? How are our festivals and our feasts not pure? We aren't doing anything wrong. So God has to point out to them to show how bad it's gotten. He says, but you say, what a weariness this is, right? Talking about their service. They're grumbling and they're complaining. and They're saying, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring to your Lord as offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? So it had gotten to the point now where the nation of Israel, remember the law, it said to bring, you know, a lamb or a bull without blemish, right? This is what they were supposed to be doing. And at this point in time, the nation of Israel were bringing animals uh, that were taken by violence, okay, essentially roadkill. And bringing it as a sacrifice, okay? So the farmer would be out in his field in the back 40, and there would be a lamb that some wolf had taken down, you know, and it's there kind of bleeding, and the wolves and jackals had taken off. But, hey, there's a lamb. Hey, I got a sacrifice this week, right? I'll take this, you know? I'm not going to take my spotless lamb. I'm not going to take my good, healthy bull. I'm going to take this thing that the wolves had killed. Things that had been taken by violence were now being offered at the temple as a sacrifice, and the arrogance of the people, the priests, to not see that this was a despicable service to God. That God doesn't deserve better than our roadkill, right? <laughs> you know, he doesn't deserve better uh, than the change that we dug out from behind our couch. Oh, I, you know, I've got to go to church today. What, you know, what have I got laying around that I can give as an offering, right? The people were coming to God with animals taken by violence. And they were grumbling and complaining about the weariness of service, Humble yourselves and recognize that when we come into the presence of God, when we come as God's people, that He's looking for a purity of service. That He is looking for our best. It says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, 14, this is sort of a key verse to keep in mind and we'll keep touching on it. God says, "...if my people who are called by my name humble themselves..." and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin, and will heal their land. The beginning of purity for the nation of Israel in Malachi would be humility. They had to humble themselves before God to realize their impurity, or they didn't even see it. The second thing was impurity in marriage relationships. And God, and these all aren't in perfect order from the book if you're following along, but It says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And this speaks to the impurity of our relationships, to the covenants that we don't honor. Okay, the people of Israel are blind to their own impurity in this regard. You know, they're bringing prayers. What's happening here is they're praying and they're seeking God and God's not answering their their prayers and they're saying, God, why are you not listening? Why are you not hearing us? You know, aren't we doing everything that we are supposed to do? But in their arrogance, they don't realize it. And God has to tell them, look, you're involved in all sorts of adultery. You're divorcing. You have concubines. You have a covenant relationship with the wife of your youth and you are faithless to her. You're turning your eyes and your body to other women. And you may think that it's harmless to break faith with your husband or wife only in your mind or that no one is harmed, but that's where divorce starts. And so in the church, in God's people, this is the nation of Israel, God, the people that God put in the midst of the earth as a nation <laughs> to be a testimony to purity to all the other nations around them, they're behaving exactly the same as everybody else. You have to understand that this is God's people. This is the nation that God formed to be a testimony to him, to all the other nations. And yet they're behaving the same as everyone else. They're blind to the impurity that's going on in their nation. Right? So this impurity in relationship, this idea that you're forgetting the wife of your youth or you're forgetting the husband of your youth, and you're dwelling on and you're thinking on other women or other men. And you're turning to them either mentally or physically. And you're putting your emotional energy into other people. Or just broken relationships in general. That the, your, your passions are shifting. And the relationship, the, the family relationship is broken down and covenants are broken. And so God has to say again, or the, or the reality for the nation of Israel here again is to humble yourself. And recognize the impurity of breaking covenant with the people you took as husband or wife. Don't be blind to it. Again, as in Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. And so here's this prophet, Malachi. He's got to go through the tough answers or the tough revelations to the nation of Israel to show them their impurity, to show them how far they have moved off of God's ideal. Thirdly, impurity in your moral behavior. He goes on, he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But again, they talk back. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? This particular uh, oracle or or thought from, from the Lord through Malachi speaks to our knowing what is wrong, but doing it anyway. That's what he's saying engaging in any activity that we know God would not want us to do, but assuming that God will forgive us anyway. God doesn't really care because it's not that bad, right? I mean, this is like Romans 6. Should we go on sinning? May it never be, right? Paul had to deal with the same thing in in Romans because we're saved by grace. Well, you know, God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. He's just going to sort of wink at it. He's going to let it go. This impurity doesn't really matter right that's what he's saying to the the Israelite's were saying everybody who does evil is good in the sight of the lord wouldn't it be better to sin so that grace can abound all the more isn't it make god look better if he saves a bunch of really bad sinners instead of just sort of you know good people but or there's the other people who say where is the god of justice well god just doesn't care you know I've been living this life of impurity or I've had this bad habit or I've been doing this stuff in my life and God's never done anything about it. So God is obviously oblivious to the impurity in our lives. He never does anything about it. And again, you can look at Romans 2 where it talks about, where where Paul explains that, you know, do, do you count on the patience of God as favor when in fact the patience of God is giving you time to come to repentance? And so this speaks to us Just sort of the things that we're doing in our life that we know are not pure. But we think, ah, it's okay. God doesn't mind that much. You know, God's got to give me something, you know, to forgive. Grace has to cover something. Or maybe God just doesn't care because he doesn't do anything about it. And so the nation of Israel is confused. Why do you tire of us? And God has to tell him, because you think doing evil is okay. You think it's okay to have this little bit of impurity in your life. You think it's okay not to pursue the purity that I intended for you. So God says again, get some humility, humble yourself, and recognize that I'm growing weary of your laziness towards evil. I'm growing weary of your nonchalance towards impurity. I'm growing weary of the fact that you just say, well, this is the way the world is, and everybody does it, and that's just the way we're going to be. And God says, no, you're my people. I put you in the midst of all the other nations so that you would be different than all the other nations. And you're just behaving the exact same way. And finally, he gets so tired of it, in fact, that God, in the next verses after that, he says, I'm going to give you a new understanding of what I mean by purity. Because your laziness and your arrogance and your impurity and just letting it go is not getting through. And so the next thing that he tells them, and this is the a little bit of good news but like from prophets it's always good news with a grain of salt from malachi in chapter three verses one to four he says "God says behold i am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts you can imagine who he's talking about But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And so Malachi basically You know, God, speaking through Malachi, basically bursts out and he says, Look, I am so tired of your impurity. There is a day coming when I am going to send a messenger and he is going to be like a refiner's fire. He is going to be like the strongest soap. He is going to purify like silver. And he is going to take the sons of Levi, meaning the true uh, covenant holders of God, and he's going to refine them like gold and silver. And then the offerings that those bring will be in righteousness to the Lord. And so Malachi paints this picture of the time that's coming. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Then, as many of you know, there's 400 years of silence. And then this comes to pass. The messenger comes. And he comes to refine us. And he comes to purify us. He comes to make us pure. As I talked about at the beginning, we are pure as believers. We are righteous. We are justified before God. But we are not yet what we will be. But through the refinement of Jesus, who refines us, we can become pure. But God goes on and he talks about the fourth thing, the impurity in obedience and in giving to God. And he says, "'From the days of your fathers "'you have turned aside from my statutes "'and have not kept them. "'Return to me and I will return to you,' "'says the Lord of hosts. "'But you say, how shall we return? "'Will a man rob God?' And yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so this speaks to our impurity in obedience to God. The previous one was knowing what we should do and not doing it, or continuing to do things that we shouldn't do. Sorry. And this one speaks to our impurity in obedience to God, knowing what we should do and not doing it. Right? He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. The nation of Israel knew exactly what they should be doing, but they didn't do it. Not only were they doing stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing and just thinking God's going to let it go, but they also knew the things that they were supposed to be doing and they weren't doing those. They were being disobedient. And Israel plays dumb again. What? How shall we return to you? Aren't we right here? Don't we go to the temple? Don't we offer sacrifices? Don't we go to church every Sunday? Aren't we here? And God has to spell it out for them. Yeah, but you're not keeping my commandments. You're not doing the things I asked you to do. You don't even tithe properly. Let alone all the justice and mercy and generosity and forgiveness and the reconciliation, and all the things that God asks for in the law, caring for widows and orphans and caring for strangers, you're not obeying the law. So God has to say, again, the nation of Israel has to realize they need to humble themselves and admit that you know the way you should be following God. You need to humble yourself and admit that you know that your life should be pointed and directed at God, and you should be following after God, but you're headed in the wrong way, and you're holding back from God what He's asked of you. And so again, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, God is saying, if we would just humble ourselves. The fifth and final thing that I'm going to talk about today is just impurity in knowledge or instruction. And this this one's aimed at me especially, <laughs> but aimed at all of us. And this is in this part, Malachi chapter two, he's talking to the priests, and he's Malachi is, is basically explaining to the priests that they've given up giving proper instruction. That the priests are now uh, being partial in their instruction and choosing what to teach and not to teach, and that they are actually uh, taking bribes—they're getting paid to teach certain things—and so God has to answer them. And He says, "True," and He's talking about how it used to be. He's talking about Levi, and He says, "True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity." This is what God's expecting from the descendants of Levi. He says, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. And so what's God talking about here when he's talking about his people? He's talking about the impurity of of their faith what we choose to ignore or gloss over in the instructions from God that we just don't like, rather than submitting to everything God teaches us, right? And and we're all guilty of this too, right? You read the Bible, and you get to a part, and you think, yeah, that's kind of hard, I'm going to keep going. (laughs) And you sort of edit the Bible as you read it, you know? And it's a danger up here for me, because I could come in and, you know, even this sermon right here, I'm struggling with this one, you know, the last 24 hours, and I'm thinking and really is this the one that i have to preach um you know it'd be easy as a pastor to pick the verses of the bible that are way easier to teach rather than going back to the reality of what god's desire for his people is and teaching that god's expectation of us is that his people be pure god's desire for his church is that we be pure That we live out what we actually are. That through Jesus Christ, He has refined us. Through Jesus Christ, He has forgiven us. Through Jesus Christ, He has made us blameless. We are righteous and holy before Him positionally. But living, He demands the same thing. He demands purity. And so where does that begin is when we humble ourselves. We cannot be like the arrogance of the nation of Israel here in Malachi where they are so arrogant, they're actually talking back to God, saying, how is it that we're not doing what you want? Why aren't you answering our prayers, God? We're doing everything that you ask us to do. In what way are we disrespecting you or dishonoring you? And Malachi, God through Malachi, is saying, humble yourselves and listen to the whole counsel of God and know that his instruction is good, not just the parts you like. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, God's asking them, To humble themselves it was a lack of humility that put the nation of israel in this position they thought they were pure they thought hey we're doing everything right but they were just a mess of impurity and god's answers spell out the blindness the arrogance that was there the pride that was there they thought they were god's people they thought they were untouchable they had the temple they had the sacrifices they had the feasts they had the priesthood they were god's people Why wouldn't everything go right for them? And yet they were breaking covenants. They were ignoring the law. They were bringing impure service. They were grumbling about the service that they had to do. They were treating each other without mercy and grace. And they were breaking covenants rather than building covenants. And they were behaving as badly or worse as the nations around them. And so the arrogance of Israel was to think that they were pure when in fact they were continuing to practice sin. And it was destroying their purity. And it was destroying their relationship with God. So now that the law and the prophets has made us feel terrible. Which is the job of the law and the prophets, right? The law is to make us feel bad about our sin. The law is to point out where we fall short. The law is to demonstrate that we cannot live up to the standard of what God has made us through Christ let's take that what the law has done and apply humility now as it applies to purity in the new covenant what is it about humility as it applies to purity in the new covenant right romans 15 4 says whatever was written in former days paul is talking about the law and the prophets it was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope so we've had the instruction now we need the encouragement Well, there's two kinds of people that are probably here today. There's people who grew up in the church. They grew up living Christian. You're God's people, right? Just like the nation of Israel was. You know you're not perfect, but hey, who's perfect, right? You know, I'm good enough. God isn't asking for perfection. My life's pretty pure. I'm a pretty good person. You know, God's not going to do anything about it. If God wanted someone to behave better, he wouldn't spend time on me. He'd be looking at, you know, someone else. You know, there's people out there that if God wants people to behave better, he should be paying attention to. You know, they're much more imperfect than me. And that's what Israel thought, right? Israel thought in their arrogance and in their wastefulness and in their greed and in their unfaithfulness and idolatry and all the things that they were doing that they were doing just fine. They thought everything was okay. They were confused as to why God was upset with them. So that's one type of people that that could be here today. You know, you're living the Christian life, you grew up in a Christian family, you go into church all your life, and you're thinking, my life's pretty good. Yeah, there's a few things that maybe I don't want to talk about, but, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. I don't really have to try that much harder. second type of person is maybe here not a Christian at all. You know, you're just a completely typical, unassuming, North American secular humanist, right? Which is what pretty much everybody who lives uh, on this side of the ocean, pretty much everybody who, you know, lives in North America is. You know, you're just a secular humanist. We're all inherently good. I'm not an evil person. I live an okay life. You know, there's evil people out there. I read about them in the news, but that's not me because we're all basically good people and we, if we make good choices. And God, if there, if there is a God, should accept my standards rather than me accept his, right? Because I'm a good person. So should God should just accept me as I am. You know, it's, it's my, I have a morality that I think is pretty good. And God should align his worldview with my worldview because I'm a good person. And I think it's fair to say that a worldview that instructs God to adjust himself to it probably could use a little humility, don't you think? Right? And so they have these sort of two types of people that might be here today. Sort of, you know, grew up Christian, God's people, good enough. Or, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but God, I'm a good person and God should adjust to me. So how does humility show up as the beginning of purity in that way in the New Testament? Right here. Jesus is with his disciples for the last time, pretty much, at the last supper. He's in the upper room, they're having dinner together, and Jesus is there with his disciples. And just before the meal starts, he goes and he puts on a towel, gets a basin of water, and he comes to them, and Jesus, it says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God was going, and was going back to God, rose from supper, And he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What am I doing? What I am doing? (laughs) What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you shall have no share with me. And so Simon Peter says to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. The disciples at the Last Supper had to allow Jesus to wash their feet. And this is for us Christians. Peter, when he found out what it means that we have to be purified by Jesus in order to enter his kingdom, that's what Jesus said. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. When Jesus figured out what Jesus meant by the washing, then Peter says, you know, exuberant Peter, he says, then wash all of me, which is a great thought. But Jesus says, you are clean. I just need to wash your feet. We are pure. We are righteous. But Jesus needs to wash our feet. But look what else was in Peter's thoughts. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I'm not going to let you do that. We think of Jesus as in the position of humility here. But really, it's Peter, isn't it? Peter has to humble himself. Peter has to humble himself to allow Jesus to wash his feet. It's that humility that is the beginning of purity. Purity. And in the New Covenant, we have to do the same thing. We have to humble ourselves to allow Jesus into parts of our life that we would normally never let him touch. The thought that we would let Jesus wash our feet, like we keep them covered up. (laughs) Anybody want to show your neighbor your foot right now? (laughs) Feet are very personal, right? They're the part of us that we don't share. And Peter had to humble himself To the point that he would allow Jesus to touch him in a very personal way. To wash something that is not very pretty. Our feet are not what we brag about. But that's exactly the place we have to humble ourselves to let Jesus touch. Humility is the beginning of purity. Until we humble ourselves and allow Jesus to touch those parts of our life that we would rather he not notice then we can never become pure. We can never begin to become pure. We need to stop thinking so highly of ourselves and humble ourselves and agree with God to repent and say these areas of our life that are not that pretty, we need Jesus to wash and we need him to touch them and wash them and cleanse them and humble ourselves and align ourselves with him so that he can make us pure. That's for us Christians. For the seekers here, if you're one of those secular humanists, an agnostic, an atheist, a struggler, a seeker, a secularist, whatever you are, basically if you're just a normal human being who's been searching for an answer to that incompleteness, that imperfection, that impurity that you know isn't just a little bit of dirt on your feet, but it's a stain on your soul. And you've never admitted to anybody, maybe not even to yourself, well, there's good news for you in this story too. Because purity and holiness and righteousness and salvation begins with that same humility except the first time that jesus does it he washes all of you the first time that jesus washes you he baptizes you he'll do what peter was asking for he'll baptize you from head to toe just like peter was asking Your whole self is washed. God submerges you all the way into the perfection of his son. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice and the perfect glory that he was resurrected into. God submerges you in all of that perfection and he washes you head to toe in all of that and he makes you pure in his eyes. So that then from that point forward, all Jesus has to do is wash your feet because you are clean and you are pure. It says this in Acts 10.42, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness, just as Malachi bore witness of the refiner that was coming. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So whether you need to be bathed and washed head to foot, through the life and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, or whether you're here and you're part of God's people, but you've allowed arrogance to creep in to the point that you don't even realize where you're falling short or where God would want to come into your life and touch and wash and clean. Purity begins with humility. If we're going to be that church that I talked about at the beginning, you know, that perfect church, you know, where there is no grumbling, there's no complaining. Everybody brings perfect service. All relationships are harmonious. There's unity amongst everyone, you know. If we were to sit right now and think about it, and it'll just be, we have five minutes, a couple minutes, three minutes. In the last three minutes, we're just going to take a minute and just realize that if we humble ourselves and we think about the service that we bring, how we serve in the church, the relationships that we have, how we engage with each other, how we talk to each other, how we've talked about certain people. Eh, okay. Maybe God has some work to do there. If we humble ourselves and we think about our conduct, think about the things that we know we shouldn't be doing but we're still doing. Or on the other hand, think about the things that we know God's asking us to do but we're resisting and we're not doing and we're not obedient because we know God is asking us to do it but we're not doing it. And really we're just sort of not humbling ourselves before God to let Him reveal the parts of us that need to be clean to be pure. And so the music team's going to come, and we're going to finish with Refiners Fire, but uh, as they come, and maybe they can just play quietly for a minute while we pray, I'm just going to ask each of us just to close our eyes. We're going to pray right now, and we're going to humble ourselves before God. Because in that humility, God will point out the places where we need purity, and we can start to make a choice as to whether we're going to let him wash us whether we're going to take that part of our life, whatever it is, and let God wash our feet. Let Jesus make us pure in that area. But it begins with humility before God. So let's just close our eyes and pray. Father God, right now, we come before you in humility, and we set our backs to the arrogance that was revealed in the nation of Israel by Malachi we don't want to be that type of people. Instead, we're going to be a people of humility. And so, Father, we come in humility, and even now as I have prayed and as I have spoken, I know in my own life you've pointed stuff out. I know even as people are praying right now that you've pointed stuff out in their life. But humility is just the beginning of purity. It's not the end. So what we do today right now with you is just the beginning. To open up our life, to take off our shoes and our socks and, and show you a part of us that we would not normally reveal to you or we've been avoiding letting you touch and wash. And so, Father, as a first step, as an act, while people's heads are bowed, I would just ask that if anyone has found that thing that they want you to wash that they would just raise their hand as a simple sign that there's something they want washed. You can just raise your hand right now and just say, Lord there's something that needs washing praise God I've hidden it from you, I know it's impure, I want to pursue purity, and Lord you can wash praise God, amen And Father, a second thing that I would ask right now. If there are any here who have not come in humility to your son, but for whatever reason they realize today that they need to give up the fight, give up the arrogance, give up the attitude of not needing you to lay down the sword of rebellion, and realize that it's only through the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice and the perfect resurrection and the perfect glory of your son that they can be made right with you. That they would do that right now. That they would step out and turn their back on arrogance and embrace humility before you. And so, Father, one more question of these people. I would just ask that if anyone here today would give their life to Christ, would say, today is the day of my salvation. I want to be washed head to toe. That they can just, while every head is bowed, they can just look up at me and make eye contact. And you look at me and I'll see you. And we'll welcome you to the family. It's that easy. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we just give you thanks today for your message. We thank you for the bad news that your prophets bring, that the law and the prophets make us aware of our need for you. But Lord, we give you praise and glory for your son Jesus, who showed us that he has washed us clean and that he is willing to bow down before us and kneel and wash our feet. Oh, what humility it takes for us to allow the author of the universe to wash us. Give us that humility, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.